This is the Future of the Future show. I am your host, Mateo Berbejillo. Jason Rosenblatt, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Jason, what do you do today? How do you make a living? Today, uh, today, uh, I'm making a living because <laughs> it might change tomorrow. Um, uh, today, I, I have my own business called Sympathea Growth. It's a consulting practice where I offer fractional leadership services, primarily in sales, um, consulting services, advisory services, primarily for early stage startups. Okay. So your ideal customer would be early stage startups that want to scale, don't really know how to go about it. You help them structure their sales departments. Yeah, exactly. So there are a couple of different scenarios, a couple of different types of clients I work with. Uh, most often it's founder led sales and they're a you know, technical founder or they've got product background or uh, marketing background. They're not, they don't have a sales background. Um, so they've never actually built a sales team or built a sales motion, uh, but they're obviously incredibly passionate about their product. So founder led sales, and it's time for them to evolve out of that stage. So that's a very common, uh, situation. Um, sometimes it's, they have a sales team. Sometimes they have uh, a couple of accounting executives. Sometimes they even have a sales leader and they're just stuck, uh, and, you know, coming in and diagnosing what's, what's, what's wrong, what's broken, what needs to improve. Um, and then implementing changes and staying the course with them until it gets back into a, a good track and then, uh, swooping in and swooping out. Nice. How, how long does the typical engagement last? About anywhere from three to six months, but sometimes you stay on for a little bit longer and sort of an advisory capacity, uh, where the scope scales down, where you're just doing calls, weekly calls. Um, but, uh, for example, I just started one that's going to be six months. It's uh, going to be very involved with the team um, and spending, you know, spending a lot of time with the founders uh, and really figuring a lot of stuff out to, to get them in a good place. Um, and then I would imagine that it's sort of like a it'll start to, to tail off after a couple of months. Very good. Jason, how did you get there? Were you always in sales? Yeah, uh, so... I went to college uh, and studied marketing and I thought I wanted to get into marketing and I had an internship in college, an unpaid internship. And then I graduated and asked them for a job and they said, I can't afford you and I needed a job. So I ended up uh, working for the rental car company enterprise right out of college. Um, a lot of my friends went there and I was like, I, I need a job. Let's do this. And uh, I ended up learning a lot about sales there, a lot about uh, leadership, a lot about management, a lot about uh, customer service. Um, and even prior to that in college, I, uh, I was a, a waiter and I, it was in sales and customer service. And whether people realize it or not, I mean, you're selling yourself, you're selling, you know, the, the special, the bottle of wine, whatever it is. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and it, it's incredible training because you never know who's going to sit at your table and you still have to make the best out of that situation, even if they're having a bad day, even if they're not nice, even if whatever, you know? Um, so, uh, so yeah, I could, you could say I've, I've been in sales for a while. Um, and I'm, I'm, uh, what people would call an extroverted introvert. 
Okay. Um, I don't really want to go into a crowded room and start mingling with people I don't know. But if I know you, if we have if we have something in common, I can talk forever. Much like our first conversation, we, it was our first time meeting, and we were like all friends, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I've been in sales for for over twenty years now, um, and sales leadership uh, for uh, for for twenty years as well at this point. I love it. Um, you know what? When you said. When you talked about being a waiter and, and everything that goes into it and how you're selling, it's it's funny because I tend to go back to the places where I had a good, very good kind of uh, experience with the waiter. If I don't have a good yeah. experience with a waiter, I don't come back. I completely agree. And it's amazing how many places don't get that, right? Maybe they have great food, maybe they got whatever, but they, they, they don't treat their, their waiters well, or something is going on that then you feed it with the way that the waiter is treating you. And oh, yeah. it's an important, I mean, I remember going back and back and back when I was working, right? And I will go back and I knew the waiter by name and I will try to see it wherever he was. I wanted the same waiter every time. Without a doubt, yeah. It's why you see, you know, at like uh, higher end restaurants, especially like steakhouses, um, at least here in the States, like steakhouses, you, a lot of the waiters have been working there for, you know, for 10, 15, 20 years. And they, they have regulars and they make, they make a lot of money. I mean, uh, they're not making, you know, minimum wage. They're not just scraping by on like tips. They're doing well. Um, you know, they've put kids through college through a waiter job <laughs> so uh so yeah the le the level of service that you get is uh makes because it's the food and then there's the meal like there's the experience like yes those are two different things and the the experience the meal is the whole experience um and there are parallels to that and sales i mean i have uh as someone who's on the uh both on the the buying side and selling side um one thing that's been super helpful for me is understanding how what the buying process is like. It's helped me in my sales career, in my sales leadership career, and coaching, uh, because I understand what it's like to be on the receiving end of a good and a bad sales process. And a bad sales process will ruin everything, even if the product is is the best out of the consideration set. Um, and I've said no to products that are better as crazy as this sounds because the experience was terrible and i if this was the first impression that you have with that company and you're about to sign a multi a year, an annual or multi-year agreement and this is an important piece of like your your tech stack or your sales stack then that's a bad that's a that's a, the bad first impression is just going to kill the entire relationship so so yeah it's a it's a big deal. And that's why um, it's funny. I, My old boss, Chris, uh, he worked at Dell for uh, for several years. And when he first started, he uh, I was the head of sales and he came in as a, uh, as the president of the division. We were working for a company called Green Sky, the fintech company. And, um, and he was asking about my hiring profile because uh, I was I was hiring a lot of account executives and BDRs at the time. And I've always liked... Uh, I've always liked people that played sports, you know, team sports, especially, Yeah, you play well in a team, you're coachable, you're competitive, all those reasons. And, 
I'm, I already sort of gave away the answer a little bit because we've been talking about it, but uh, he asked me, do you know what the number one uh, the number one trait for the most successful salespeople at Dell, which was a huge, huge company, thousands of salespeople all across the world. And I, I, I thought it was sports. And he said, no, it's, it's a restaurant experience, waited, it's serving experience. And I, since then, um, I have changed my hiring profile. This was in 2015 or 16. Uh, so for, you know, seven years now, I, uh, favor, employees that have restaurant experience as like one of the top traits well specifically front of the house like you're dealing with people yeah right um because again like you get on a sales call you have no idea who who you're gonna come across it could be somebody that like will not talk somebody who's very rude somebody who talks too much uh you have no idea right and it's the same thing with being a waiter like you have no idea (laughs) no idea what's going to happen when that person walks in and you've got to make the best of it so this this is amazing um i'm learning a lot already um so my next question was going to be what skills do you think are more important to be good at sales right and it seems that empathy and being able to read human beings very fast and to adjust very fast seems to be one of them right because I've never been aware in my life. I'm going to ask us, well, you know, what what are the things that you learn that come with that trade, right, at that experience? But you seem to be indicating that it's a lot about you go to the table, you look at the people, and you read them like this, right? And then very, very you know how to treat them, and you, you start, you know, realizing that there are different types of people that like different things. Is is a little bit of yeah. that. Yeah, I'll give you a perfect example. So, uh, I I lived in New York after I graduated college, and um, as a result of of that, and also, and we'll we'll probably get to this at some point. But um, my parents lived in New York, but also Argentina, and like I, there was always just like a lot of profanity <laughs> everywhere. I've always been people like just cursing a lot because everyone's very enthusiastic and energetic. But especially living in New York City, there's just a lot of profanity. And um, whenever I would be on a sales call, uh, I, I would I would never be the first person to, to drop a, a curse word ever, ever. But if I hear them start to drop, you know, profanity, I might sneak something in, like so, nothing, nothing crazy, uh, but like a little soft one every every here and there, so that we're relating, you know. Um, so uh, I think that the the skill of the um, the term like the icebreaker, like when you get into a call and you're asking, you just bring something up. You don't don't ask about the weather or anything like that. Don't ask, but like something almost like a like a like a joke or something, just to like test the mood of the room is so important because otherwise you don't know how to steer the rest of the conversation. Um, so using a little bit of that to test the room, I, I love it, man. Uh, you know, to test the mood of the room, man, it's gotten it, like with, with zoom and, uh, and, and COVID and everything, it got a lot easier because inevitably you're always dealing with something like a personal situation. Like, oh, I've got, uh, my new dog just pooped in the carpet or something, <laughs> anything like that. <laughs> And you, and when you get on the call, you're like, uh, sorry, I was a minute late. My new puppy had an accident. And if they're like, oh, what kind of puppy do you have? Or, oh no, what happened? 
you're like, okay, this is going to be a good conversation. But if they're like, okay, you're like, all right, this is going to, this is going to suck. <laughs> and, but you, you just change the, you change the, the, your, your demeanor, you change your mood to match them. And not everybody is going to be, you know, the extroverted introvert or extroverted even a little bit. Some people might just be very uh, guarded and, and keep all their emotions close to the desk and not really say anything. So um, I think the key is knowing who you're selling to. Um, the better you know your persona, the better you know who you're selling to, uh, their temperament, their, you know, um, uh, the, the way that they generally carry themselves, I think the better, the more successful you'll be as a salesperson. Amazing. Um, you talked a little bit about your parents uh, and that Argentina uh, heritage that you have. Were your yeah. parents or any close relative uh, in sales? Uh, so my father was in the music, was an attorney and then in the music industry um, for a long time. So he was in sales. Um, it, he was a, uh, an executive in the Latin music industry. Uh, so yeah, he was very much in sales, even though, um, in it, later in his career, the further he moved up, he wasn't like actually like technically in sales or a salesperson, but earlier in his career working at, uh, Sony and CBS records, uh, he was definitely in sales. Very nice. And, uh, yeah. did, did you have some fun experiences growing up because of, uh, of that? Yeah. So I didn't share this one with you. Um, when we originally met, but, uh, so this is, this is kind of cool. Actually, I, I, I love to tell this story. So my father, when he really started in his, his, uh, the, his music career, when it started to take off, um, he was involved with launching Gloria Stefan and the Miami sound machine. This is in the eighties. Like this is like right when they started to get super, super, super popular. Uh, he was responsible for launching their career. Um, and I, so I, I met uh, Gloria and Emilio and stuff on a million times. My father's super close with them, been to their house a bunch of times. Uh, but, uh, my first black eye that I ever got, uh, was their son who's older than me. And he's, you know, probably a father and I haven't spoken to him in years, but, uh, he was at my house and he threw a, tr a toy truck at my face and hit me in the eye. So one of my claims to fame is that Gloria Stefan's son gave me my first black eye. Uh, but I also have uh, these really cool pictures. Uh, growing up, I was I, I loved baseball, and I, I was a New York Yankees fan. And uh, we went to a, a Gloria Stefan concert. I was like five years old, six years old. I can't even remember. Um, we went to a Gloria Stefan concert that was after a game, after a New York Yankees game at Yankee Stadium. And all the Yankees players stayed to watch the concert because she was one of the biggest stars in the world. Yeah. And I got to go to the locker rooms and see the locker rooms. I got autographs from all the Yankees. Uh, I was on the field at Yankee Stadium. I have all these these really cool pictures. Uh, so yeah, I've met a lot of uh, a lot of really uh, awesome celebrities. But what uh, what what I was telling you and I, your face lit up last time we were talking when I was in my teens when my dad moved uh he was the general manager for way latina way is warner electro atlantic so big record label but the latin division and he um his label represented all these huge stars um that i knew nothing about i hated latin music 
I was very much into, we shared a lot of similarities, like very much into like Rage Against the Machine, Metallica. Uh, I was into like metal and hip hop. And like, I hated uh, Spanish music, hated it. Um, and, but meanwhile, I'm like going to all these concerts. I'm, I'm going to Puerto Rico and meeting like biggest celebrities, Spanish, Latin celebrities in the world. And I couldn't care less. Like I, I was just sitting there. I'm like, this sucks. Get me out of here. Uh, but, but hanging with like mega, mega, mega stars, you know, being in sold out arenas where there are people in the crowd going crazy fainting because they're so excited. And meanwhile, I'm backstage. Like I could, I would rather be anywhere else in the world in here. So, uh, yeah, it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting experience. Um, looking back at that, <laughs> you, but, but, and we talked a little bit about that, about this last time. So, Probably the fact that you didn't like this music so much made you act super natural, right? And you, I mean, you were yeah. keeping your, your shit together, right? And, and so yeah. basically these guys loved you because of that. You were not like super on top of them. Like, oh my God, you're the best in the world. Yeah. You were normal. You were like, yeah, do they want to play you know, uh, Nintendo, whatever, right? I mean, I think, I think it would have been a lot more, uh, I think it would have been a lot weirder for them uh if i was constantly like just staring like oh my god i can't believe them because we would go to lunch we would go to breakfast we'd have dinner we would be at their house and i'm talking about uh like mega stars that again like we're selling out arenas selling millions of records um you know across the world and i just it didn't phase me at all so yeah they always liked me um You know, they always liked me being around, even though I was like an awkward little teenager. And maybe they liked me because my dad was the, you know, the, the GM of the record label. But who, I don't know. Who cares? Uh, but I never, I never was like starstruck by any, any of them. Um, but looking back on it now, I think it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, I also think that, you know, with social media now, had it been around then, I would have been able to like, to, to see uh, with evidence, like, oh my God, this person has probably at the time would have had millions tens of millions of followers and i would have been more starstruck um but i didn't really well, i wasn't able to quantify like how like I, it didn't mean anything to me at the time you know like yeah probably because i i didn't like the music um <laughs> but i like it now and i play it for my kids so <laughs> and you can tell them hey it was you know i met all of these guys And, and they don't care either. <laughs> they don't care either because they're looking at how many followers they have now and it's been a while so I don't even know how many followers and some of these people have anymore so right um yeah unless it's Taylor Swift or yeah. you know they, they, they don't care do you do you think um keeping it cool it's another important skill or trait for salespeople and not going like and I have to talk to the CEO And all of a sudden I'm trembling and I got, yeah. you know, uh, my, my, you know, my presentation is not working and I get all of, you know, sweatier. I mean, do you think that's one trait that is important? Yeah. And I think that, uh, not only do I think it's important, I also think it's important to, uh, I'm, I'm very big on the, the topic of stoicism, um, and, and, uh, also just like learning from your mistakes, um, and, and getting extracting valuable lessons from you know bad situations um i i think that those are the types of situations that maybe you have to go through 
a bad experience once, hopefully just once to, um, to, to realize or to appreciate like what to do better next time. Um, some people just get it right out of the gate, but I mean, I remember, uh, I was in my early twenties in New York city and we were selling an enterprise product and I had no business being in the room, but I set an appointment with one of my, uh, senior, uh, senior enterprise reps with like Morgan Stanley, um, and like we went and pitched, uh, like we pitched Fidelity. We were pitching like all these big banks. I was getting meetings. I was uh, I was working at a company called The Ladders, um, and we we're selling recruitment, uh, like job postings for 100k plus jobs. And um, and I remember uh, my enterprise rep Mary. She took me with her on some of these appointments, and I was sitting in this room, you know, at this like major bank, and I'm like, what is going on here? And I just didn't, I didn't talk. Like I didn't know what to do. Uh, and then like, I would get feedback afterwards, like could be, you could be yourself, <laughs> be more normal. Um, I also remember, um, I had co-founded a startup in New York city, uh, and we had the opportunity to pitch, uh, do like a presentation, uh, for a New York tech meetup. And it was in front of several hundred people, um, at Miller union in New York city. And, um, my co-founder was supposed to present, um, he had, strep throat and uh, at the last second was like i need you to present and i wasn't prepared at all to present um and i wasn't feeling well either i probably got sick from him uh because we were sitting in like a tiny little cube like this because we couldn't afford anything else um and i got up and i i still remember it very vividly like everything is dark there are hundreds of people including like vcs in the crowd all these startup founders in new york city and i'm in i'm like in my 20s and the lights are shining bright in my face and the presentation stopped working oh. and like that is like and and that is like the worst thing that could happen and i just I, you just you just dust it off you brush it off and you just kind of keep going but unless you've been there and done that then you're not going to be prepared for how to do that so i'm glad that it that it happened and i'm glad i was able to handle it well because otherwise that would have happened at another point in my career and it would have been the first time I was doing it then. So I'm glad I got out of the way, you know? Um, but yeah, keeping your cool, um, being yourself, um, you know, is, is, is very critical, but it still goes back to, uh, what I was saying, at, at, you know, before it's like mirroring, uh, and getting a good sense of who it is that you're speaking with. Cause like not all CEOs are the same exact personality, right? Like some CEOs, really are like i'm the ceo you're beneath me and i'm going to treat you like that and other ceos are the other end of the spectrum they're super cool like they don't they don't act like that at all so it, it's a matter of gauging and understanding who it is that you're talking to so you can adjust your uh your temperament your attitude um accordingly now um do you think what skills did you do you think you also picked up by being you know uh, a child in a in a multicultural house right and a first generation uh, American and everything that it's a nice blend right you had a, a very nice mix going on the city and everything and the influences yeah so my my dad was uh, my dad was going to law school. At University of Miami, uh, at night while working a full time job um, at CBS Records, uh, 
and, it, and he was, you know, he was working in Miami and we lived in Broward. So like it was, you know, 45 minute drive each way and then going to law school at night. Um, and, and I was the oldest of three, but while he was doing this, it was, it was me and my sister also. So I saw that work ethic that he had, um, and I saw how much he valued education. Um, and I saw how much he, uh, like how much effort he put into being able to support the family. Um, and like, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because part of it is like, he wasn't around as much. It ended up, my parents got divorced. It ended up like he was traveling a lot, whatever. We don't have to get into the specifics. This isn't a therapy session. Uh, but, uh, the, the effort, um, and dedication to providing, to, to wanting to be able to provide for the family, um, was that was like burned into my brain and, uh, is a big reason why I work so hard. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that culture, uh, being, uh, you know, being the child of immigrant parents, uh, being first generation, there was, and the firstborn and first generation, uh, it was, there was a lot of pressure that I felt that I inflicted on myself, um, to be able to be successful because I'm starting that legacy. Um, so, and also knowing like what my parents went through, especially my dad, I mean, my dad didn't come for money. Um, he moved to New York city when he was a teenager from Argentina. He was born and born and raised in Argentina and then moved to New York city. And he would tell me, like he would get made fun of all the time because he didn't speak English and he would get beat up all the time. And he still became super successful. And that's, that was inspirational for me, uh, to be able to see that, that, you know, not everybody is going to be, uh, super fortunate. Everybody's dealt a different situation, but it's up to you to be able to figure out, um, how to get out of that situation and achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. I love it. It's a, it's a very powerful story. Um, very inspirational and, and I can clearly see how your father was a role model um, and also the the values right the values of um, a family taking care of a family and everything that goes with it and, and what we call success or not right I mean and, and to me there's a lot of success in just a simple thing that is not simple at all and you know that because you're you know we are raising families but Raising a family and taking care of your children and building a legacy for them. I, I, when you were talking about being successful and I was, you know, thinking out, you know, well, but what does that mean? I, I think it's there. Yeah. Would you agree? Do you do yeah. 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 I mean, I, um, my kids see both my wife and me, uh, by the way, my wife works way harder and is way more successful than, than me. Uh, she's, she's really the brains of the operation. Uh, but, uh, my kids see that they see it firsthand and, you know, when they get home from school or from camp and we both work from home right now, which is, which is good. Like we, I appreciate that for so many reasons, but when they get home, like yesterday they came home from camp, I was still working in my office and they both came in my room and I said, okay, guys, we have to do some reading today. My son is reading Harry Potter. My daughter's reading uh, Magic Treehouse. I don't even know what she's reading. But I was like, all right, I need you to read a little bit. You can hang out in my office. And they both hung out while I was working. So, And they do that with my wife all the time. For them to physically see how hard we work um, is, uh, is I think, is creating a really good 
um, just trying to be a good role model as much as possible, you know? Um, cause I, I heard this saying the, the other day, I can't remember where I read or heard it. I think it was on a podcast, but, um, it stuck with me and it's, we're not raising kids. We're raising adults. Like we're, ra- we're raising them to be good citizens. We're raising them to be eventually like people that other people like and want to be around. And, um, that's my goal is to raise successful, happy, um, obviously healthy. You can't control that as much. Um, but successful, happy, confident, intelligent, uh, curious children. That's all that, like, that's my focus. You know? I love it. Um, with that said, what do you think when you think about their future, right? I, I, I have to two children uh five and seven year old and it amazes me to think about what they are going to be doing when they are 20 something probably it doesn't yet exist right uh so that's a challenge right so so i know that you know it's impossible to know the answer but when you think about the future of work what Mm -hmm. what do you think is coming right with, with your wildest ideas well, they're at the age now. I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, um, and they're at the age now. My son is convinced he's going to be a professional soccer player, so that's not going away. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to tell him he's not. So, like, sure, be a soccer player. I'll go and take me. Sure, let me travel wherever you're going. Uh, take care of me when I'm older. Uh, and my daughter is convinced that she's going to be uh, e- either a, a, a famous dancer or a famous gymnast or a famous actress. So. Right now, that's all they care about. That's all they're focused on. To think that they, and that's the way I was when I was young too. I thought I was going to be a professional soccer player. Um, that didn't happen. Uh, but you know, I I think that to think what they're going to be doing in their twenties um, is is very difficult for me to wrap my head around. Um, people's, you know, people would just are constantly changing, and and especially at this age, they're just constantly being molded. And adapting to different things that's going that's going on, uh, different things that are going on in the in their environment. Uh, so my main thing is to keep them in an environment that continues to foster growth, education, um, being good people. And you know, it's uh, it's almost like you're an archer and they're the arrow, and you just want to like point them in the right direction. You know, like you can't control where they they go, but you just want to like point them in the right direction. Um, so I have no idea what they're going to be when they're older or what the future of work would look like. Um, you know, maybe my daughter ends up being like a gang leader and is in prison. She might be based on her, 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 uh, her temper sometimes. So, uh, yeah, you know, you never know. Um, but I'm, I, I'm just doing my part every moment I have with them to, to raise good, great adults one day. Very, very nice. Um, any new technology that excites you today that you look at it and you go, I can use this. I can leverage this. Yeah, I, I've i been very bullish on 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 AI for a while now. Um, and, you know, I my last uh, company where I uh, was uh, VP sales, uh, CallRail, we used, uh, we started like dipping our toe in uh, in, in AI specifically for like calls and call transcription. But, uh, even, even before that, 
um, uh, before AI really, like, really exploded, um, I was always fascinated by what it could do for like sentiment analysis. Like I, I love call coaching, um, as a sales leader, it's my, probably my favorite part of leadership, um, is being able to coach like the coaching element specifically. And the insights that you're able to get from uh, a lot of the AI tools on call recordings and demo recordings, it, that to me, uh, was a massive tipping point in the sales profession. Um, because if you think of, uh, there are so many parallels and analogies to sales and sports. And if you think of coaches in sports, your practice, like the best, the best managers, the best coaches practice very, very like in, with a lot of intent there, it's deliberate practice. We lost last game. This is where we got exposed. This next opponent is very good at doing this. We're going to practice how to prevent this so that we can win. It's, it's strategy. It's chess. And um, when you think of what they're doing is not only are they practicing, but then they're looking at video. They're looking at film. They're looking at, okay, do you see what happened here? Let's stop this video and like let's look at what happened here. That how can we do better here? And then they go and practice it. And to be able to bring that mentality to the sales profession was, was for me when like it started, um, this was probably about, I remember I, I, I was, uh, I was running sales for a company called green sky and, uh, I bought Gong when Gong was first coming out, uh, their CEO, uh, reached out to me and like, this is when they were still small. He reached out to me directly and now they're a multi-billion dollar company. And he's like, Hey, I'd love to tell you all about our product. Do you have time? I was like, sure. Meanwhile, now he's like one of the top CEOs in Silicon Valley. Uh, but when I first started to like understand what you could do with it, with AI, with AI and call transcription and draw that parallel to sports, I was like, this is the, this is it. This is the game changer. So to be able to pull a sales rep into a meeting um, and listen to their call and analyze the parts of the call and then role play how to do it better and then see how they did it. Uh, on the next call and constantly improve. Um, to me, I think that that is just, if you're not doing that now, um, with, in your company, if you're not coaching your sales team, you are making a massive mistake. Um, cause it is the, it is, there's so much, uh, opportunity there right now just to improve, uh, improve the, the, the way things are going with your individual reps and then overall as an organization. Um, and then like AI, like it is really starting to seep into every other tool in the sales stack. I think there are a lot of really cool t tools out there. Like one of my favorites is, um, Lavender. They do a lot with like email, um, and writing better emails because email is still just a huge part of, you know, outreach, uh, for, uh, for sales teams. Um, so being able to craft good emails, uh, great emails rather, and, and, and leveraging AI technology for that is really cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, we're really, I think, still sort of at the, you know, at the early stages of what uh, AI can do for good. Uh, hopefully uh, we get some controls on it so that it doesn't run rampant and become a problem. But right now I'm really excited about uh, a lot of the stuff that's happening in the sales and tech stack um, being powered by those, those engines. I love it. And if you are listening, you might want to replay some of what we just discussed a lot of value packed in just a few minutes, right? So hear that out, right? You're leading a sales team. 
You could be doing coaching in an amazing way. If you're not doing it, you are losing time and money. Um, mm -hmm. And you will not have the same impact that you could have. You could have a, an ongoing um, feedback loop that can let you learn every single day, every single day, right? So mm -hmm. many things going on. That was an amazing answer, Jason. I, I appreciate it. I have one last question for you. When you are not working, what do you do? I play soccer with my son uh, until my knee starts to hurt. Uh, and then uh, I, I also play ice hockey. Oh. So, uh, yeah. Um, I So I played soccer my entire life. But um, when I was, uh, I want to say 12 years old in Florida, um, uh, I had a lot of friends that moved to Florida from uh, from the north that they all played ice hockey. They all played hockey. <laughs> and um, I started to get into it. And so I've been playing, you know, since I was 12 years old. Uh, so I play a couple of nights a week. And um, yeah, that's that. And then also building my business, building my, uh, uh, really trying to work on more content uh, to get, to get uh, it's a creative output uh, primarily, but also if I could build the brand a little bit, um, but very focused on my clients right now also. Um, and then, you know, where we live in Georgia, where we live near Atlanta, um, and it's, it's, you have beautiful mountains, like only like 45 minutes away. So we like to go out hiking, um, be out in the woods, be out in nature as much as possible. Um, and occasionally, occasionally I try this, yes. uh, but I, but I, I, I'm not good at it. Uh, a guitar so for the, a guitar for the audience. Yeah. Yeah. No, not, not today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, today man. Uh, uh, maybe another time, but, uh, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I just try to keep myself busy. I, I, I also read a lot of books. Um, also a lot on audible, uh, at any point. Um, I used to think it was crazy. Then I heard, uh, Naval Ravikant, who's like one of the most brilliant people out there. I heard him say this on Tim Ferriss's podcast that he does this also at any point I am in the middle of like six different books. Um, because my mindset uh, like changes a lot. So I might be interested in reading this fiction. I might be re re interested in reading this nonfiction. I might be interested in reading this biography. Um, and I bounce around a lot. So uh, unless it's like uh, one of those crazy captivating books, I very rarely read it all the way through. And I know that sounds crazy, but uh, that's just the way, that's the way I've been uh, lately. Um, and this is... The two two of the books I'm reading right now that are just awesome that I highly recommend. Um, this, I don't know if you can see this, it's the Rick Rubin book, uh, the Creative Act, the way of being. I'm Rubin. trying to get that one. I'm trying. Uh, Rick Rubin, man, what a producer, and he worked with so many artists, and and I love. I heard a podcast by uh, Ezra Klein, and and he has his own podcast, Broken Record, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry for stopping you, but you just blew. No, this book, I this book is awesome. This book is so good. He's such a genius. He's such an interesting guy. Um, I listen to everything I can by him, um, especially when he is a guest on somebody else's podcast. It's always great. Um, and then this is another book. Uh, like I'm, I'm, I told you, I'm very big into stoicism. It's really helped me in my life a lot. Um, and then there's this book called uh, Lessons from an American Stoic. Um, it's about, um, yeah, it's about Emerson and, um, just 
Stoicism normally is traced back to uh, Roman and Greek times, and this is the first uh, exploration into uh, or an exploration into what um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was who's known as the first American Stoic. So not as far back in time, just a you know a couple hundred years. But yeah, Stoicism is a fascinating topic to me that I'm still learning so much about. I absolutely love it, um, Jason. It's been it it's been a pleasure. Uh, I could talk ages with you, so I hope we can do this uh, again sometime. And thank you yeah. for being here. Of course, man. Thank you so much. I'm gonna have you when I launch my uh, my podcast. I'm gonna have you as one of my guests, man. Please continue the conversation. Yeah.